God's Word, Matthew chapter 2, Emmanuel, God with us, extravagant worship. A number of years ago, Pastor Bob Russell pastored Southeast Christian Church for 40 years. When Brother Bob went there, they were running about 175 on a Sunday morning when he retired, redeployed in ministry, they were running about 23,000 people. Bob was a faithful, faithful pastor. And then after he redeployed, he started investing in other pastors. And so he would invite eight pastors to come and spend the week with him and then just talk about ministry and church life and transition and preaching, leadership, those type things. One day I was fortunate to be able to get the invitation to come and spend the week with him. And so uh, I journeyed to Louisville, Kentucky, uh, spending these days with him. There was one night, Bob and Judy, his wife, they brought eight of us pastors to their house and they served us dinner. It was humbling and inspiring to see their hearts to serve us as pastors, but just to see their love for each other and their love for Christ. And then you know, after that dinner, then Bob was saying, another night we're going to go to a restaurant in the Louisville area. It's on top of the Caden Tower. I'd driven by the Caden Tower, no telling how many times in Louisville. They're on Watterson Expressway. 16 stories tall, and Bob said, we're going to go to Ruth Chris and have dinner tomorrow night. I'd never been to Ruth Chris to have dinner. It wasn't in our budget. And so as we're getting ready to go to Ruth Chris and have dinner, Bob says, let me give you a few instructions. When we go there, we're going to have some tables reserved for our group. You can sit at any chair you want to. There are no reserved seats at our table. And then he said, when you go into the restaurant, you're seated. A server is going to come to you. And the servant's going to hand you a menu, and you're going to see a lot of items on the menu. And he said, you're going to look over to the far right-hand side, and then you're going to see the prices of what the food is going to cost. And Bob said, but here's what I want you to do. There's a private donor, and this private donor loves pastors. And in obedience to Christ, he wants to invest in your lives and your ministries tonight. And he said, he wants to be extravagant to you. And he says, you get what you want on the menu and you ignore the prices, he will take care of it. So moving to me. And so one, I sat there and thought, praise God, I'm not eating a kid's meal tonight. And so I'm not going to go that direction. So when you say that, but I just thought, here was somebody again who loves pastors, but in obedience to Christ, he wants his worship and he used the word extravagant. And I thought, how many times do we connect that word extravagant to our worship to the Lord Jesus Christ? As you and I think about church life, if we're not careful, we will cut corners every chance we get. How many churches have I worked with and even pastored to say we built a new building and we could put a, a kind of a class A sound system in or a class B sound system in. And in order to save money, we went with a cheaper sound system and in the long run, it ended up costing us more. Extravagance. When it comes to worship, how many of us worship the Lord Jesus Christ with extravagance? See, if we're not careful, we will not give him our best. We'll give him something good, but we'll not give him our best. It will always cost you and me when we do that. I pastored a church one time, and when we went there, they were struggling, didn't know if they were really going to make it or not. Had a beautiful location. Uh, right next door to them had been this vacant land, and so people came to them one time and said, we'd like to sell the church the land, $40,000 for this huge acreage. And the church leaders got together and said, one, I don't think we can afford that. But two, I don't think we'll ever need that. It cost them in the end. 
Because you know what happened to that land. They started building houses next door. And uh, so there were houses all throughout that property. And then the grace of God, the church grew. We ran out of space, ran out of land, but it was not available at that point. How many times did we try to take the easy way out or the cheapest way out and it cost us in the end? Extravagant worship. Let me me ask you this morning, kids, students, adults, when you worship the Lord Jesus Christ, what is it costing you? When you look at David, worship of Almighty God cost him. You look at the Apostle Paul, worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ cost him. You look at the Son of God, Savior of the world, crucified on a cross, buried in a tomb, raised on the third day, obeying his heavenly Father cost him his very life, shed his blood for you and me. What is it costing you to worship Jesus? I was watching last night an interview by Armando Baycott, who's one of the great basketball players for the University of North Carolina. Uh, They played a tight game yesterday with Ohio State. North Carolina was down. They came back in the end, tied the game, went into overtime, and then North Carolina ended up and won the game in overtime. And they were interviewing the star basketball player at the end. And that interview just cut me right to the heart. Because Baycott was talking about, he said these words. He said, I love the school, the University of North Carolina. And he said, "I, I love our fans of the University of North Carolina. And then the star basketball player said these words. He said, I would die for this school, for the University of North Carolina. When it comes to worshiping King Jesus, what is our commitment to him? Are we giving him what we don't need, what's left over, or are we giving him our absolute best? When it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, how many of us would be willing to say, Not to a university, not to some other institution, but to Jesus Christ himself. I would be willing to die for him. What is worship costing you? What is worshiping Almighty God costing me? What is worshiping Almighty God costing us as a church? Extravagant worship. You and I think about worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. I I could ask you, what would you need this year so that Christmas would be the most joyful season of all, the happiest time of all? What would you need to do that? Many of us would say, you know, if it'll snow this week, that'll be great. Many of us would say, make sure all of my family, we're together. If I can have all the family around the table, laughter, building memories, sharing gifts together, that'd be wonderful. That'd be, be amazing if that happened. Others say, if I get what I've been asking for for the last year when I open the present, that would be incredible. But how many of us would say, what would make me the most joyful this year is if I could just worship the Lord Jesus Christ, spirit and truth with extravagance, that would do it. Here's some thoughts about worship, not only outline, but worship matters to God. In church, whatever matters to God should matter to you and me. That's why we make a big deal out of sharing the gospel and seeing people come to Christ because Jesus gave his life for every single person. And so what matters to God should matter to you and me. Worship matters to him should matter to us. If you're going to be a disciple, learner, follower of Christ, then worship isn't optional. It's not something, it's a a buffet you can pick and choose. Worship is essential for you and me. 
And when it comes to worship, it's impossible to worship the Lord Jesus Christ in spirit and truth with extravagance and stay the same. You will never be the same when you worship Jesus in your life. And then here's the other part. Jesus is worthy to be worshipped. That's why the wise men came. They understood his worth. He was worthy to be worshipped, and they wanted to come and worship him even with extravagance. There's a passage in John chapter 12. I read this passage often and just talking about it even this morning. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Can you imagine? Many people thought she had wasted that. And Jesus said, you don't understand. But here Mary is worshiping the Lord Jesus with extravagance. Can you imagine the smell of that fragrance? Can you imagine the smell of extravagant worship in that house? When's the last time in your personal life? When's the last time you as a couple, as a family? When's the last time we as a church, we smelled the fragrance of extravagant worship? Because we didn't give him what was left over. We didn't give him what we don't need. We gave him our absolute best. When's the last time for you? I want you to write down these four words. If you're going to understand extravagant worship, these words are central to that. And when you think about extravagant worship, it always starts with the first word is Jesus. Always starts with Jesus. Church, you know this. I know this, but worship is not about you and me. It's not about our preferences. It's not about what we like or don't like. Worship is about Jesus. He is the one who's worthy to be worshiped. It is the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. Extravagant worship begins with Jesus. Number two, it begins with sacrifice. What are we willing to give up so that we can give to worship the Lord Jesus Christ? What are we willing to say, you know, I'd like that. It would bring me some happiness, but I'm not going to, I'm going to sacrifice that in my own life so I can give extravagantly to Jesus in the context of worship. What is worship costing you and me? Number three is thankfulness. How do we come before him today and say, Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your love. We wrote that gentleman who blessed us that night in that restaurant extravagantly. We wrote him a thank you note to say, Thank you for your obedience to Christ, your love for us as pastors, and thank you for being extravagant with us. This morning, maybe for you, extravagant worship, you come and just bow down before him today And you say, Lord Jesus, thank you for grace. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for assurance in my life that I'll spend eternity in heaven with you. Thankfulness. Number four is obedience. When you worship the Lord Jesus Christ in an extravagant way, you obey him. What is God asking you to do today on this Sunday morning? What commitment does he want you to make? What decision do you need to follow through with? Give your life to Christ. Follow him in baptism like we witnessed today. Join the fellowship of this church. Say yes to, to the gospel ministry. Say, say, confess any sin in your life. What is he leading you to do? And I just encourage you, if you're going to worship him with extravagance, it's about Jesus, it's about sacrifice, it's about thankfulness, and it's about obedience. How are you worshiping the Lord Jesus? What is it costing you? These truths, number one, follow God's leadership. As you and I think about Matthew chapter 2, 
We understand something about who God is. We know this, that, that God loves you and me. We know that God forgives you and me. We know that God disciplines you and me as his children. But we also know this, that God leads you and me as well. When you look at this story in, in Matthew chapter 2, the story of the wise men, uh, we look at it, we, we ask some questions. We say, where were the wise men from? We don't really know. The Bible just says they were from the east. How many wise men were there? We don't really know that either. We always identify three because of the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And why were the wise men considered wise? Uh, I think they were considered wise because they were willing to search for Jesus, they were willing to see Jesus, and then they were willing to serve Jesus. Dr. Adrian Rogers preached the message years ago, a great preacher, pastor Bellevue Baptist Church for years, but he talked about how wise the wise men were, and he used those words about searching for Jesus, seeing Jesus, and serving Jesus. And as you and I think about the wise men, you've got to realize when they traveled, you have to understand, I mean, there were no Starbucks on their way. When they traveled, I mean, there's no Waffle House open on Christmas Eve. And as they travel, there's no Krispy Kreme with a light on that you're going to get a hot, tasty donut. Nothing like that at all. But here they are traveling. Many people would say hundreds of miles to follow this star because they knew the prophecy. They were astrologers. They were students of Scripture, but also of prophecy. They knew the Word of God. They knew Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And here they are searching for Jesus that they could come and see him and worship him. As you think about this, I want you to write these down. Number one, personal preparation. If your worship to Almighty God and the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be extravagant, you need to spend time in personal preparation. You've got to be willing and prepared to give the Lord your best in life. When, when the wise men were traveling these hundreds of miles, coming to Jerusalem first and then going to Bethlehem, when they were doing that, they, they had already prepared to give the Lord their best. They didn't stop at a mall somewhere and pick up something last minute. They didn't re-gift anything. Any of you ever re-gift anything? Uh, they didn't do any of that. But here they are bringing their best, their treasures, because they knew that the Lord was going to lead them to see the Son of God and Savior of the world. And when they saw him and they worshiped him, they would give him their best in life. Personal preparation. How do you spend time in your personal worship, but in our corporate worship? How do you spend time preparing your heart so that you give him your best and your worship is extravagant to him? How do you do that? I want to give you these five statements that, that I do simply every single week for me. Because I don't want worship to be normal. I don't worship, just go through the motions. I want to worship him with extravagance in my life. And how do I prepare to do that? Look at the first one, read the Bible. If you're going to worship the Lord Jesus Christ with extravagance, read the Bible, read the Word. Let God speak into your life the truth, the prophecies, the insights from God's Word. Read the Bible. Second, pray to God. Have a conversation with them. Pray for your own heart, your own life. Pray for other people who are going to be in this service or watching. You pray to God and you ask God to make sure your heart is exactly where he wants it to be. You give him your best. Number three, confess personal sin. You share any sin. Holy Spirit, what sin in my life do I need to agree with you, confess, and turn from and repent from? Number four, listen to music. You listen to music to get your heart right. 
I listen to music a lot, just walking or getting ready, even on Friday, somewhat of a day off. I use that time to make sure it's not just wasting the day, but how do I have a Sabbath with the Lord Jesus Christ? Reading the Word, reading some of the Christian literature, listening to music to make sure even on that day, day of rest, I'm still worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ in my life. And then number five, get enough rest. That's why Angie and I don't stay up to 2 or 3 in the morning on Saturday nights. Go to bed early because I want to come here on Sunday morning, make sure I'm not tired, I'm not lethargic, I'm rested, I'm ready to experience Almighty God and give Him my best. I encourage you, if you're going to worship God with your best, do those five things in your life because you don't want your worship to be normal, just going to the motions. Lord Jesus, you gave your best for me, and I want to be extravagant in my worship to you. Come in on Sunday mornings rested, excited, expectant about gathering with God's people and adoring Him. Second word, spiritual tenacity. If you're going to worship God with extravagance, there's got to be preparation, but there also has to be tenacity. That means you hold on, you persevere, you don't give up. Do you think those wise men traveling hundreds of miles, it was easy for them? Not at all it wasn't. Those men would have faced danger. Those men would have faced disease. Those men, when they saw Herod, faced discouragement. They knew all of those things, but they persevered. They were tenacious. They were not going to give up until they saw Jesus and bowed down and worshiped him. What about you? Church, let me just be transparent. I'm amazed at what keeps many of us as Baptists away on Sundays. Temperature can go down. Well, we can't go today. It's just too cold. It can start raining. We can't go today because it's starting to rain. We can't make it. And then I don't see how that lines up because then I look at Lambeau Field and the Green Bay Packers and you look at them, those guys out there and here they are, no shirts on, freezing cold. And I realize they've got some embalming fluid in them as well. I totally understand that. But here they are. They're willing to do all of that. Why? For a football game. Church, we're not talking about a football game, basketball game, baseball game. We're talking about worshiping the King of kings and Lord of lords. We should want to be gathering with God's people and to say, Lord, I'm not just going to the motions. I'm not just checking a list off. Jesus, I'm coming to give you my best. And I want my worship to be extravagant to you today. Because Jesus, you extravagantly poured out your love and your grace to me, to us. You've got to persevere and hang in there. Number two, you shout God's victory. In this context of Matthew chapter 2, the wise men traveling these hundreds of miles, here they are again. You're going to see this war that's going to take place in Jerusalem, not in Bethlehem yet, but in Jerusalem. And it's this war with King Herod. And and we, we realize there are political issues in our day. There are cultural issues in our day. There are even spiritual issues in our day. I'm amazed in our culture right now. We're having a debate about whether we're going to worship on Christmas Day or not. It's out there. We're going to have service or not have service. Church, I hope you realize these doors, God willing, these lights, everything's going to be on Sunday morning, Christmas morning. We're going to adore the Lord Jesus Christ together in this church. 
If there are 2,000 people here or there are 20 people here, we will give the Lord Jesus Christ our best. Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. He's worthy. So as you think about this, again, here they are with King Herod. Look at number one, engage the enemy. Then here, Herod's going to come. And so uh, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. Notice these, these wives, they weren't coming to take selfies. They weren't coming to get an autograph. They were coming to worship him. That's important for us to know. And then when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. He was not only troubled, but the city of Jerusalem was troubled with him as well. And so he pulled together these chief priests and scribes. He inquired of them where Christ was to be born. And then they told him, they quoted Micah chapter 5 verse 2. The word of God is going to speak. And so they shared this wonderful promise. Then Herod, some of the wise men secretly ascertained for them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, you go search diligently for the child. When you find him, you come back and tell me because I want to worship him as well. His lips and his heart were not in the same place. His lips said he wanted to do that, but his heart was somewhere else. I pray today as we worship the Lord Jesus Christ, your lips and your heart are in the same place. Jesus, it's all about you. We see this. You're going to engage the enemy. You and I have an enemy in John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8. We have an enemy. He is like a roaring lion seeking someone whom we can devour. So you've got to realize we have an enemy. But number two, defeat the enemy. We have victory in Jesus. Cory ten Boom. Cory ten Boom, who was a great soldier for Christ, wrote a book, and it's entitled, Jesus is Victor. Great book if you can get your hands on it to read it. But we have victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. We can defeat the enemy because greater is he who lives in us than he who is in the world. Victory in Christ. Now, if we're going to defeat the enemy, you've got to know how he works. And so how does he work? Let me give you these words. Number one is pride. Uh, you and I, many of us may struggle with pride. Herod struggled with pride. He wanted life to be about him. You can defeat pride in your life because of the victory we have in Jesus. Number two, misconceptions. When it comes to worship, we have misconceptions. At times, we think worship is about you and me. We think worship is about a day of the week, or we think worship is about a building somewhere. Worship isn't about those things. You and I, we get to come to this building, but we are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not about a building, it's us. We're the ones who are the called out ones. We're the ones who are redeemed. So we need to get away of those misconceptions, find victory in Jesus. Number three is commitment. Many times we don't experience the Lord Jesus Christ because of commitment issues in life. We're not as committed to Christ as he wants us to be. Parents, let me ask you, when it comes to your kids or your grandkids, are you committed to teaching them and modeling for them what it means to worship Jesus with extravagance? You can teach your kids and grandkids all sorts of things. But I don't think at the end of the day, when they stand before the throne of God and before the Lord Jesus Christ, it may not matter that much in that time. I'm not sure the Lord's going to be concerned about all the things that we say. These things are essential. But I can tell you what he is concerned about is the soul of your son or daughter. And so are you pouring into your son, daughter, grandson, granddaughter, spiritual things, soul-related things? That is extravagance to say, we want you to know Christ, we want you to walk with him, we want you to serve him, and we want you to live for him in life. That's what's going to matter. 
It's about commitment. Then number four, selfishness. I think Herod was a selfish person. And you and I, we can find victory in life because we don't need to be selfish in, in the Christian life. It's not about you and me. It's about him. And so we can find victory in those. We can engage the enemy and we can defeat the enemy because of Jesus. Number three, cherish God's worth. What, what do you and I cherish in life? I hope, I hope we cherish the Lord. When it comes to worth, again, I think the wise men were wise. Why? Because they understood his worth. They understood his value. That's what worship is about. It's about God's worth in life. But let's worship him. Let's give glory and honor to him. His worth is there. How are we going to do that? Let me give you these. Number one, gather with others. These wise men, where there were three or there were more, the good news is that they were not doing this alone. There are times... That you need to worship the Lord on your own. You have a personal devotion time where you spend time in the Word. You pray. You listen to music. You, you adore the Lord. You, you exalt Him in your life in a personal way. But there's also value in coming together as the people of God. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. We should not forsake gathering together as some are in the habit of doing. There's value in corporate worship. And church, I, I can't wait for Wednesday nights. I can't wait for Sunday mornings because I want to see you, but I want to worship Jesus with you. I pray you have the same desire that we gather with others and we worship him. Number two, practice the basics. It's not complicated. We make church life, we make worship, we make evangelism, all these things at times, way too complicated. It's not that complicated. John Wooden, who coached the UCLA Bruins, the many, many national championships, one of the greatest coaches in history, when he would get his star athletes together, basketball players, they knew how to shoot baskets, they knew how to dunk, they knew how to do all that. His first thing he would teach them was how to put on your socks. He never got over the basics. Other coaches would do the same. Coach Wooden would say, if you don't wear your socks right, you're not going to give your best on the court. You're going to get a blister on your foot, and then you're not going to be able to play. It's the basics. Number one, here are the basics. Straight from Matthew chapter 2, the place of worship. The place of worship. Here's what I mean by that. The Bible says, what they came to the house. And behold, they saw a star rested over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, the house was a sacred space for them. Here's something I want to ask you in your life. And, and I understand this is a building, and, and I totally get that. But I also understand when this building was constructed and when the cornerstones were put in place, but there are scriptures written under this carpet in different places, but also I know there was a time of dedication where this building was dedicated to say, Lord Jesus, this is about you. This is where we come together to sing. This is where the centrality of the preaching of the word of God happens. This is where you are honored and adored. Is this place sacred in our day? I'm afraid we're losing sacred space in our day. Yeah, there, it's a building, I get that. But somewhere we need to come in and say, God, this is a sacred space. This is where we worship you. We have a place in our house. When I walk to that place, it is a sacred space for me. Why? Because that's where God and I spend time together. The place of worship. And here they go into the house. And they're in this place with the Son of God, and His mother, and they're going to worship Him. It is a sacred space. Number two, the posture of worship. 
The Bible says when they walked in, they just didn't high-five each other. They didn't cheer one another on. They weren't sending text messages to one another. It says they went in and they saw the child and they bowed down to worship him. The posture of worship. Now, there are many things we can say about that, but again, let me just be transparent with you. I mean, for us as men, when our team scores a touchdown, we can shout with joy over that touchdown. And ladies, maybe when there's a sale at your favorite department store, you can shout with joy over the sales that you're going to get at that store. But why can't we shout for joy when we gather with the people of God? You have to realize this is the Son of God and Savior of the world. He has redeemed us from an eternal hell to an eternal heaven. Why can't we shout shouts of joy to Jesus Christ and worship together? If we can shout at a ball game and a sale, praise God we can shout unto him for our salvation, redemption, our transformation in Christ. The posture of worship. And let me just add, this is not on the outline. I just think I'll throw this in for free as we go along. When you look at the Word of God, you're going to see many expressions of worship. A part of Matthew chapter 2 is about expressions of worship. And so when you look at the Bible, there's going to be this idea, you clap to the Lord. It's, it's appropriate to clap. Now, please understand, when you're, when you're clapping after a song or you're clapping during a sermon, John Mark and I don't think you're clapping for us at all. We're clapping for the glory of God. God, this is how great you are. We're just praising you. Clapping is a part of that. There's also this idea of shouting. We shout at all sorts of stuff, but somewhere it's okay to say amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord. We shout to the Lord. Why? Because he's worthy of that. There are times we sing to the Lord. That's an appropriate expression of worship. Lord, we're just going to sing a song to you. It's not just about you. It's to you because, Lord, we want to sing unto you. Then also we come and what do we do? We bow down before him. It's appropriate at times that the presence of God is moving in your life and you just get on your knees, your face before him because you bow down to him. God, you are great. I am sinful and I need your grace in my life. And then there are times it's okay just to lift. Lift your hands unto the Lord. That's not weird. That's not abnormal. It's worship to Almighty God. Give Him your best. Worship Him with extravagance. That's the posture of worship. Now, now somebody just started running around, hollering, screaming, foaming at the mouth, running up. And that'd be kind of weird sometimes. But if you're going to clap to the Lord or, or you're going to bow down before him or you're going to shout to him or sing to him or lift your hand, that's not weird. Those are appropriate expressions of worship in the word of God. The posture of worship. Number three, the pleasure of worship. When you and I think about this, when they saw the son, they bowed down to him and they presented him their treasures. They offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The very best extravagance in their lives is said they were overjoyed and they rejoiced. The pleasure of worship. I heard this guy one time. He was going to get his wife. Uh, she wanted a new Lexus for Christmas, and so he, he decided to get her a diamond ring. And he was in this conversation with another guy, and he said, yeah, I got my wife this diamond ring for Christmas. And, and the other guy said, I thought she wanted a new Lexus for Christmas. He said, she did, but where am I going to find a fake Lexus at in life? <laughs> You'll get that over lunch. It'll come to you in just a little bit. Don't give him anything fake. Don't fake it on Sundays. Don't fake it on Monday mornings. Give him your best. 
Let me ask you, when, when you worship, when's the last time in worship you've been generous? When's the last time in worship you have been overjoyed? When's the last time in worship you've been convicted? And then when's the last time in worship you've been obedient? Extravagance. I'm going to follow his leadership. We're going to engage. We're going to shout his victory. Uh, We're going to cherish his worth. But I'm going to obey him. And so I'm just asking you this morning. In your worship, are you giving him your best or what you don't need? Are you giving him something left over? Are you giving him the extravagance of your life? If you need Jesus Christ, give him your heart and life. You need to follow him in baptism, obey him. You need to join the fellowship of our church, do so today. You need to say yes to God's call on your life, walk an aisle. Let us celebrate and walk with you through that experience. Lord, I'm not cheap today. Lord, I'm not just being stingy today. Lord Jesus, I want to be extravagant today. Don't look at the prices on the right. Get what you want. Lord Jesus, open hands, open heart, confessing mouth. I give you my best. Are you willing to do that today? Kids, students, adults, those who are watching around the world, are you willing to give Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Savior of the world, your best? Extravagance. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, The old hymn says, I stand amazed in your presence. And God, right now, I just stand amazed in your presence. And Father, on this Sunday before Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, may your spirit move in this place. Lord, I'd love to see some people say yes to Jesus for salvation. Love to see this altar filled with people saying yes because they need to be baptized in obedience to you. Love to see this altar filled with people saying yes to church membership because, God, you're at work here and they want to be a part of your activity. And, God, what an amazing thing it would be to see people come forward and say, God's called me to Christian ministry and yes is on the table for me. Or, God, it would be amazing to see this altar filled with kids and students and adults who are just willing to come and pray and say, oh God, extravagantly I give you my best in life. It would be amazing. And when we look at that old little town of Bethlehem, we see extravagance on display because you left heaven and you came to this cradle and you took on human flesh that ultimately you would give your life for us. And I pray in this invitation, Lord Jesus, it'll be extravagant because we'll give you our best. And the glory goes to you. In Jesus' name I pray.